morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of SFC Connects, Skills for Change's new online series, talking to staff and the community on how we're managing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we're going to be taking a bit of a different angle to the conversation. We've been talking so far to staff about program delivery and the challenges and opportunities they're facing. But there have been a lot of conversations happening globally on leadership and leading teams during a time of crisis. And so thought, we thought it was equally as important for us to explore this more in terms of our, how our CEO is managing the agency during this pandemic. So today we have Sarana Sandy, CEO of Skills for Change here. Welcome, Sarana. Thank you, Sandra. So Sarana, you've been uh, CEO for Skills for Change for um, the last uh, eight years, since 2012. And in addition to this role, you've sat on many boards and have had <clears throat> a very keen interest in leadership from an education standpoint, having taken programs, including at Harvard University. Um, for your tenure at Skills for Change, like many CEOs, you have navigated a number of changes, challenges, and opportunities. But of course, I can assume nothing to this magnitude. So I guess my first question to you is more generally based on your experience and your education. What has your understanding been on what is effective le crisis leadership, generally speaking? I think one of the most important things for us, especially in the nonprofit sector, is to balance um, the needs to keep the business operations going and the community needs and the funders' needs in terms of their priorities and their mandate that they have in terms of the contracts with us. And so for us, one of the key things as we look at the evolving COVID-19 situation was trying to determine what does this mean for the communities we serve? And we operate in multiple communities with various needs. So we are in Brampton, we're in Markham, we're across Toronto, Flemington Park, Mount St. Dennis area to mid Toronto, central Toronto area. So we need to figure out how are we able to continue to service those clients um, and also meet the various stakeholders requirements. So for us in terms of good crisis management, just analyzing the situation and the impact, developing a really good communication strategy, looking at business continuity and seeing how do we navigate risk in delivering the programs effectively and considering not just the current crisis but the post-crisis how would we continue once the major issues for example ontario um, emergency order for mandating non-essential and essential services once that's over what does it mean for us is it business as usual do we have to think of modified approaches to the business delivery and then of course our people how will our people work what do they need to work? What challenges will they face in working? So tools and processes and training and, and remote support as they change the way they've been delivering services for our clients. So there's a lot of considerations for us as a management team, as a board, and as a broader community member as to how do we ensure that we remain safe as we try to do all these things. Right. And, and so um, if you could just walk us back, because obviously, you know, this has been an evolving situation since um, really the start of the year in January. And as you and I work closely together, I know we had been monitoring the situation back in January when it was initially announced, you know, as a crisis and hit China hard. And we started to think about what we need to do internally to make any adjustments in the workplace. But as CEO, what was going through your mind given we had, you know, very little indication of the potential larger impacts at the time? And did, did the potential enter your mind? 
Um, well, one of the things I was monitoring is how countries around the world were managing COVID-19. So um, when China shut down that province, that really gave an indication, okay, this is serious. And if it does come to Canada, potentially this, we would have to do the same. So I started thinking, what would a shutdown, a full-scale shutdown of our province, or if it was just the city of Toronto, what would it mean for our service delivery? A lot of what we do at Skills for Change are one-on-one -on -one personalized services, so career counseling, settlement counseling, workshop delivery, language training. We also have a child care center. And of course, you have to think about the risk to ch the children and their parents and et cetera. So we started, you know, I started monitoring what are countries doing, how are they reacting? Is this viewed as just a localized issue? Um, how does this spread? And if it does spread, what would it mean for us? And the other big concerns is the, the clients we serve are immigrants. Mm -hmm. So we had a situation where we had a lot of our clients who are new to Canada who are potentially exposed to, to the disease. So mm -hmm. then how do we keep our staff safe? And how do we keep the other clients who are entering our various centers safe without, of course, ensuring that, you know, no one is stigmatizing people and stereotyping people um, and that people's human rights are, are respected and they are treated fairly and no discrimination. So some of the initial things we were doing was uh, monitoring the Human Rights Commission, for example, and sharing their directive and ensuring that our staff and our community understand that they are not to um, directly or indirectly discriminate or make someone uncomfortable, um, stereotype anyone, um, question them as to where they're from and where they traveled from as they come to our centers. At the same time, we started looking at precautionary measures. So, um, you know, guiding the clients on hand washing measurement and right. social distancing, as it was called at the time, um, providing our staff with as much um, tools as we could. So training was conducted, uh, hand sanitizers across, maintaining and cleaning the centers regularly. Those are the small steps before the province and the city of Toronto took more drastic measures in terms of um, shutting down and recommending uh, remote working. And that was just to bring broader awareness to our clients and broader awareness to our staff in terms of good health and safety measures. And at mm -hmm. the same time, minimizing um, the negative approaches that people may have taken to stereotype or discriminate against people based on where they traveled from to Canada. Right. And, you know, obviously, um, <clears throat> you know, some very, very important steps and key areas to really focus on when we didn't have, when there was the unknown. And things changed so rapidly from January until mid-March when we finally transitioned uh, to full remote working and, and you know, it, the impact was globally. So these ideas of uh, discrimination and things like that, uh, you know, it was, it's, spreading all over the world and um, really affecting every single country across the world. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what was, your, what was your strategy from that perspective um, and how it transitioned from January until March uh, for staff particularly to prepare for the unknown? One of the first things that we were looking at is what would remote operations look like or if we weren't able to do remote operations what would be the impact in shutting down so we look at some of our technologies um, very luckily for us part of our planning and strategic focus was implementing technology and solutions or flexible for the organization so we had already started using zoom 
-hmm. as a business rule starting last year. We had moved our phone system, an analog-based phone system, to a VoIP phone system. We already used Salesforce as a database, and we already had started um, a lot of remote access to our computerized systems and servers. So for us, the, the ability to transfer, transfer from a, a physical site to a remote site was actually done in a day and a half. So we started looking at what would it take to do that? Um, you know, what the impact would be on staff, what would the impact be on service delivery, how would we deliver services, how quickly can we transition, what would be the issue around staff, you know, client access. So we were very concerned. We serve a lot of low-income um, clients who may not have access to the technology tools, so computers, laptops, or high-speed internet um, to be able to access the same, to participate in workshops, to do counseling, to even call, because they may not have the data plan. So these are all the consideration, not just our ability to move home, but once we're working remotely, how would our clients access the services if they do not have the financial means and the technology to do so. So those are some of the considerations for us. And of course, you look at the risk of doing that. How do we safeguard information, client data? Um, how do we ensure that the staff we have are trained and skilled and capable and have the tools to be able to work effectively um, without being you know, mentally drained and the feeling of isolation that they may encounter? So those are a lot of things we were looking through and considering um, as an organization to ensure that a smooth transition happens. So it's not just around you know, the technologies in place to facilitate working from home, but that we actually have all the other supports in place that complements the technology solutions that we have. Yeah, very important, obviously, from the staffing side as well as the, um, the client side. And just getting into that a little bit more, um, <clears throat> what, was, what was your strategy in terms of ensuring we continue seamless service delivery to our clients? One of the first things for us is, uh, of course, ensuring that the tech, we explored a lot of different technical tools. Um, wow. Initially explored, you know, we use Google Classroom. We have some uh, programs we're using that since the fall and testing it out. So we try different approaches and say, you know, what would be the best tool? Is it accessible? Is it user friendly, intuitive? That was critical to make sure the tools were effective. There's a lot of training to staff and, you know, using tools, but there's also a lot of um, improving communication and have a lot of communication. So we ensure that uh, all the program staff, all the supervisors and managers and directors met with their staff, continue to meet with their staff every morning and have, you know, virtual huddles every morning to improve communication, to solve problems. We interface with the staff and ask them for what they think are their training needs, what concerns they were having, um, how were they um, settling in and how can we support them and then customizing training and solution tools to help them to do that. We monitor the various technology um, solutions to make sure that they really work. And then we pivoted when necessary um, to emphasize the use of particular technology and de-emphasize certain technology that was not facilitating effective workflow. Um, and the other important piece is also doing surveys with our clients. Uh, so we understand what their needs are, where they are, what's critical to them, and ensuring that technical tools and approaches work 
And finally, we looked at our work plans, our business plans, and how programs going to be delivered and shifted them and you know, tweak components and what can we do online? How do we do it online? You know, for example, you may have a, a training session that would be every day for four or five or six hours and breaking those up into two hour increments so that it alleviates the clients, their burdens, you know, if someone have childcare issues right. or, you know, very challenging to sit in, uh, virtually in a class for six hours or five hours. So really constantly monitoring as we go and interfacing with other partners and learning from them. I spoke to other CEOs and say, what are you guys doing? What are you using? And they ask me what we are using and really get a sense of what um, best practices are and try and implement where necessary. Definitely. And I think even um, I had an interview with one of our staff that mentioned um, some of the community supports as well that they've uh, you know, really come together to offer, you know, things like uh, free computer access and things like yeah. that uh, yeah. to our clients. Yeah, it's very <laughs> difficult collaboration, you know, for us um, more so now because in the past our staff interfaced, interfaced physically, they had, you know, went and did um, in-person presentation and they engaged with people in that way and there were events and activities to meet and coordinate. So now it's a lot more effort in terms of community building and relationship building and sustaining those relationships. That's really important for us. Definitely. And you mentioned um, in, in the previous uh, qu uh, question that I asked around uh, communication and the importance of communicating uh, with the staff and the clients. So what are some of the key elements that you've uh, implemented during this uh, crisis in terms of communication? What is critical for communications both on the staffing side as well as the client side so that we continue to match up to that high level of standard? Well, what's so critical for us internally was to have regular communication with the staff um, and have different ways of doing it. So we use Slack, which allows all of the organization to really communicate in real time very quickly. So Slack is a really great tool. Um, we do use um, Zoom that facilitate workshops and meetings and engagement. We use Google Classroom that helps us to communicate and share and train with our clients. We've really ramped up the social media um, and all social media platforms in different ways to share information with our clients, not just about our programs, because we want our clients to be well informed. So they know about the programs and services and skills for change, but our marketing team, our social media team work on, okay, what's COVID-19 emerging facts and information? What are some of the benefits and, you know, for the federal government or the provincial government that, you know, unemployed job seekers needs to be aware of? What are some of the um, changes that are being put forward by the city of Toronto, the province of Ontario that our clients needs to be aware of? If our clients are low income or social assistance, what do they need to be aware of so they can take care of themselves and their family members? So. Uh, we have weekly external newsletter, regular um, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter uh, updates that is about helping the community access information so they can make good decisions and take care of themselves. We also have our internal staff newsletter that really focuses on what's going on across the whole organization. That comes out every Friday, so staff really get a sense of that. People learn differently, so it's not just a newsletter. We have our Monday morning sip and chat with all hands, all staff come together and talk about what's going on in their programs, how are they feeling, what's important. We get a sense of um, the ideas they want to implement, things that, are, that they think works really well, information they came across, and it's really more of a, hey, this is what's happening, this is what I've seen, this is what I know, sort of thing to share. We also do the same thing at the management level where we meet every day, you know, at 10 a.m. and we chat. 
you share with what's going on with you, your program services, how do we improve collaboration, how do you improve communication? So it's a mixture of technology, it's a mixture of meetings, face-to-face, -face, telephone, etc. Um, so that people feel it is multiple places and ways that it can communicate and get information. So you want to tap into Slack, you want to tap into Gmail, you want to use Drive, you want to use social media, the newsletter, you want to use your team huddles, you want to text someone. So whatever you feel comfortable with, we try to facilitate by providing as much tools that people could use the ones that best suits them. And then finally, we're trying to create some collaboration where we bring programs together to do joint um, pieces with the clients. So the employment teams traditionally will deliver an employment workshop independently and engage. But we thought, bring settlement together. Let's have settlement and employment joint and share that. And then we're going to ask in the staff, how did it go? How did it work? What can we improve? What did you learn? What could we do differently? So it's about testing and trying and sharing, seeing what works, what could be improved, um, what tools we may not consider, what does not work that we can move aside and tweak, and then making adjustments as we go. So we found, um, interestingly enough, one of the things we were concerned about was how do we keep people engaged and involved? And by trying these different tools and approaches, we've seen a really great uptake in engagement and participation and knowledge transfer and sharing across the whole agency. And I think that's something that we want to sustain post-COVID-19 remote working order. Yeah, and that's really interesting what you're saying about, um, you know, just people tend to look at the situation, obviously, a crisis as a, a challenging time, which it is. However, um, given the multiple channels that we've been uh, using both on the staffing side as well as um, communicating with the clients on a broader perspective, um, I could see potentially, and I'm wondering if you could see that there are potential opportunities here once the pandemic is, you know, over and we're going back to business as normal. Uh, for sure. You know, one of the key things for us is continually evaluating how we're delivering programs now and identifying opportunities to enhance and innovate. So, for example, in Entrepreneurship Hub, we've noticed that, you know, we had an opportunity to customize service delivery for um, online, but it's not just for people who are residing only in Ontario. And so it's online now. We're having people accessing the program across the country. Our language training program, for example, we have participants outside of Ontario all the way to India. We have British Columbia. And so it allows us to reach clients broadly, expand our service delivery, and really become less of a regional player and potentially a national player. But also we can look at, for example, the employment service delivery pieces and training and even the language and other bridging program and really enhance the online delivery model. Test them and improve them. So we're considering different tools right now. We're evaluating different learning management systems. So we have a consolidated approach to it and a very professionalized um, program delivery method. Like is we really chose different components. We use Google Classroom, for example, we use Zoom. But we're considering using Blackboard, which is used by academia to really centralize all the training pieces in one. We have also identified um, that we can truncate content, right? So like I had mentioned earlier, 
you know, we don't need to do a five hour straight workshop. We can do a two hour straight workshop and then come back and people can pick it up. We can do webinars, we can train, we can log in and access it and then operate on their own pace and still meet the deliverables for funders. And I think that's really critical for us to consider. That is our funded pieces, but also it's been a boon of an opportunity for us in terms of our social enterprise. Mm -hmm. And we're now doing a lot of our social enterprise courses online, most of them. And we're looking at how do we expand online delivery post COVID-19 for social enterprise to reach people broadly and to support them broadly, which would allow us to get sources of funding to, you know, to fill the gap uh, that we have from the funded uh, pieces that we get. And that is just a wonderful opportunity. But it also created opportunity for staff. They're developing new skills, new knowledge through the training and enhancements that they've gotten using these tools and these new delivery methods, which I think enhances confidence. We've also seen opportunities where some clients, staff, sorry, took on some leadership opportunity that they never demonstrated before to train people, to support people, to identify tools and utilize those tools and customize those tools for our workplace. And, and so it's an opportunity for our staff to grow and to develop. And a lot of clients embrace the technology and they love the flexibility and the access and they would like to see that continue. So yes, it's been challenging. Mm -hmm. It's isolating for our staff. It's, it was a bit of a transition for many people and still is but we also see an opportunity to transform how we deliver. Yeah, and that's really great because, um, you know, uh, this will be over one day very soon, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> and so it is really uh, good to think of those opportunities upcoming and, uh, you know, push them forward so that we can, you know, deliver service in multiple ways and multiple mm -hmm. things. So that's really fantastic. Uh, just pivoting a little bit, um, there was a recently an, a Harvard Business Review article on good leadership during the pandemic particularly. And one of the uh, areas that the article really talks about is that leaders should adopt what they call tapping into suffering to build meaning. And that essentially means taking your experiences as a leader, uh, dealing with previous suffering or loss and acting with empathy. So what does that mean to you? And how do you demonstrate that with your staff? Well, it's, it's interesting because at Skills for Change, not only um, did we have to deal with COVID-19, mm -hmm. we had a tragedy in the middle of that, that the day before we went remote working where one of our long-term colleagues, Roland Rooms, passed away at our center. So we had two sense of loss, a sense of community that was lost because we all have to now work remotely and missing that, and a loss of a colleague and friend who was well-loved by all, in, in addition to Skills for Change, but a broader community. So, it's a, so I had to balance um, the operational and the efficiency and getting things done and making sure people can work and moving through with the sensitivity and the understanding that people may not be in the emotional space to navigate just so much dramatic changes in such a short time. And so for me, it is really trying to live in that space, try to understand what people are feeling, because I am feeling the same thing, the same sense of loss, recognizing that, um, providing people with opportunity to share and express that and participating in that myself. So whether it's um, 
working with a counselor as we grieve the passing of Roland, um, checking in to make sure that people are okay, um, letting people know that I feel the same, that I, that I have the similar feelings, the same stress happens, that I'm not immune, I understand, being vulnerable, letting people see the vulnerability and connecting to the vulnerability, and letting people feel comfortable to be vulnerable, um, and letting people figure out what works for them in terms of how to respond to and navigate the change. So the flexibility to say that some people want to speak, some people don't want to speak, some people want to engage, some people need time away. Some people could adapt quickly and it's okay. Some productivity would drop initially because people are going through so much emotional stresses. And balancing a demand for productivity, which is really challenging when you're grieving, to say let people adjust and produce in a way that suits them. So really stepping back and allowing people to figure out what would be the best approach for me what would be the best approach for me for my work, for my colleagues, and how I want to engage, and then allowing them to do that. And I think um, that allowed us to navigate effectively and just talking to people. So for example, um, making the time, you know, when I met with staff members and how are you feeling, how are you dealing with what happened? And then later on, they said, this really mattered to me, it really helped me to know that you came and just asked me how I'm feeling. And they listen to me. And you know, I didn't tell them how to feel or they should feel this way. It was going to be better. It's just letting them talk. And then that's it. That's as much as you could. And so recognizing that we're going through, our staff are going through various trauma. You've lost a colleague. You've lost the familiarity of work. You have to you know, adjust to a lot of new training and technology and approaches. And you're isolated and you're scared that you may get ill if you go out. And so there was so much that was just thrown at everybody. So it was important to say people need time and space to connect and figure out how they would adapt and whatever they needed, we would adjust to it. And I think that yeah. was really Definitely, uh, you know, from my personal experience, uh, I've had friends and uh, colleagues uh, say that they can't imagine that our entire team, our entire staff had had to deal with not just the the pandemic and um, all of the stresses that go along with that, but having the loss of a colleague at that time as well. So um, certainly uh, it adds this huge, huge element that we have to be aware of and empathetic about with our staff uh, for sure. And then and that being said, what, what are some of the ways that you're ensuring that the staff are, you know, maintaining healthy mental health and taking time for themselves? Well, one of the things that we've done initially, of course, is to bring in counselors. So we had a lot of group counseling sessions and afforded people the opportunity to do private. We've also asked the staff, what do you want? What do you need? What's important? So we had ideas, but we, you know, we've had a skills for change of history for the last number of years of Wellness Wednesdays, where it's yoga and Zumba. We have our quarterly Balance for Better Wellness Initiative that may have arts and craft, focus on health, financial health, physical health, mental health. So we are bringing these things back in a virtual space. And so staff, through a survey, we asked them to tell us what they would like to help them as they navigate working from home. And we have brought those people back. And we try to liven up our um, Monday sip and chat with some fun activities, whether it's, you know, a quirky, um, funniest hat or funniest background. And it's a way to liven up people and to be fully engaged with them. Um, or funny is, you know, mug, coffee mug. So it's those small things, but also formalized wellness initiative 
We also have in Slack, which is a really fantastic tool for us, um, various channels. So we have wellness channel, we have um, a learning and development channel so that people can you know, access that and our general channel. So you have you know, encouraging staff share um, you know, an article or video or a tip or something that you think would be interesting that we could access and learn. And then share what you're doing from a wellness perspective that could be helpful for people. And I think that's many different ways that we can engage people. And we do remind them you know, how to, of course, still practice good physical distancing but to go for walks to go outside to get the vitamin d and to really take care of their physical self because that's important in addition to the mental health so we still want to focus on wellness because wellness is really critical for us we are not focused on pushing quote-unquote productivity what mm -hmm. we're trying to push right now is getting people comfortable capable and confident and then productivity will flow from that definitely and um, finally, just a personal question, what are you doing um, to maintain your health and wellness, um, you know, given that you have this extensive role of leading this agency during this challenging and troubling time? What are some of the things that you've been doing? Well, for me, um, it's, it's really critical to stay physical. So I walk an hour a day, I lift weights uh, three times a week. Um, and just eating really well, but for some reason I've become a good baker. <laughs> so I've been, I know I'm balancing, but I've been I've been baking and baking banana bread and pumpkin pie. I don't know why I fall in love with pumpkin pie like three times now. Um, it's about moving, keeping moving, um, reading a lot. So balancing movement um, with a little bit of um, intellectual pursuit, just keeping my mind going and trying to learn a lot and a lot of podcasts. It's really good for me because we want to keep busy. And, um, you know, our mental health um, also depends on good physical health. So I try to balance that. So good self-care routine is also critical for me. And just being positive. Like, I think for me is to say, yes, it's really challenging, but it's also quite helpful. I'm with family. Luckily for me, I have a nice home. I have a great job. I have colleagues. God bless us all. None of us got sick from this. So in many respects, it's quite a blessing that we have and um, unlike many other nonprofits who had to lay off a lot of their staff or yeah. shut down, we are not in that situation. 99% um, of our staff are working um, fully, 100% paid. I mean, I have got a job. So that actually helps motivate me and keep me feeling really good and feeling well. Um, but good walks really helps. I walk about an hour a day. I've actually got to learn my neighborhood really, really well uh, for the last couple of weeks. So it's been fantastic. That's really amazing and really great to hear. And obviously, I can attest uh, to the strong leadership that the agency has received uh, during this entire crisis. Thank you. And, um, the opportunities that we've had um, to reflect on what we're doing and uh, just push forward and really being open and honest about how we're feeling and um, it really has added to that productivity that you mentioned earlier. So uh, really appreciate that. I think this conversation hopefully will help uh, with potentially other agencies and you know, other leaders that may have just had to step into this situation, maybe CEOs that have just come on board uh, have never dealt with anything like this before. So I really hope that this conversation can help with those individuals and um, just to get that conversation going about how to lead in these uh, moments of crisis and uh, some of the things that we've implemented at Skills for Change that you've implemented to ensure 
that we're uh, still running a successful agency and uh, most importantly, delivering that uh, service to our clients as well. Excellent. Yes, thank you. We're, you know, we're very grateful that we have the opportunity to do this work, to continue to serve our clients and really the ability to pivot so quickly and effectively um, so that the clients really didn't have significant gap in terms of the services they were receiving for us is very critical for us. And we'll continue to innovate, monitor what we're doing and find new ways to improve upon the service delivery methods and hopefully get our clients to where they need to go. Definitely. Thank you so much, Sarana. Have a wonderful thank day. You.